got to get my shirt right. Ah, uh, what's up, everybody? <laughs> Episode five, AOS podcast. We're back at it. Uh, since we were just here, but I, I love when we can hop on every two weeks. Again, if you're a first-time listener, we'd like to welcome you to our uh, show. Uh, we are three black male leaders, fathers um, that are going to have a good conversation today. Uh, if you're a returning listener, thank you for rocking with us again. We want everybody to go to our Facebook page, like it, YouTube page, subscribe to it, Twitter page, follow us. Uh, and what we want you to do, two things as we kick off this show. First, I want you to share this video and also tag some folks. So if you're listening to this, tag some people who you think will enjoy this conversation. It's going to be a good conversation. As you know, it is the 19th anniversary of September 11th. And in addition to being educators, black men and fathers, my two co-hosts are also veterans. And so they're going to do a lot of the talking um, about today as we talk about September 11th and how it meets the realist education. So I'll kick it off. I'm, I'm Dave McGuire, representing Naptown. Got the good internet today, so we should be we should be good today. Uh, That's good to hear. Dr. Trip, man, reintroduce the folks to who you are before we get things started. Uh, you know, I'm Dr. Smith, uh, Bashan Smith, proud principal, Grandview Middle School in Grandview, Missouri. We out here making major moves. Uh, we might talk about some of this smoke that came down this week as we kicked off the school year. Uh, I really thought that uh, at one point I was going to have a ride outside my building with parents and somebody was going to throw a Molotov cocktail through one of these windows because it got heated. Uh, but you know what I'm saying? I, hey, I feel like this week, and maybe we, we get to it in the second half of the show, Like I think I took steps to become an educational legend this week. I'm telling you. There you I'm, go. I, I think I became a legend this week. And legend in the making. <laughs> For real. Uh, your turn, brother. Reintroduce the folks to who you are. Uh, what's going on? Friends and family, uh, Demetrius Ball here. Uh, I am the proud principal of Iron Horse Moon, San Ramon, California. And uh, if you didn't, didn't know, California is on fire, uh, literally, <laughs> literally. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it, it's been wild, a, a wild week. And uh, I mean, literally uh, Wednesday, like, you know, it, the, the clouds were covering the you know the sky the sky was orange dark orange i don't know if y'all been on social media checking that out but i mean it was it was it was wild and um you know just another thing to add on to uh this crazy 2020 uh year but you know overall doing well and uh just uh you know blessed to be here with y'all this evening hey real quick i don't i don't we don't know what direction the show about to go so uh <laughs> if, if unk is in the back producing for us hey unk, can you put on the ticker uh DrVashawnSmith.com. I just want to make sure everybody know about the blog that debuted last Friday. It's been doing crazy numbers. Man, Saturday I woke up and based on my phone, I used the Wick. Uh, Wick is where I got my website from and my pop my blog. I woke and it gives you a notification every time somebody gonna read your blog. I woke up Saturday morning. It debuted Friday. I woke up Saturday morning with notifications from Ireland, mm. South Korea. The Philippines. I mean, like it done went international. So I so I'm super geeked about that. So if I could throw the you know DrRashawnSmith.com on the ticker when you get a chance, I appreciate that. So I just may go ahead and do that shameless plug. Ain't nothing no, no shameless about it. It's out and open. That's what we call pressure. So here's how we're gonna kick off the show, everybody. I think everybody knows. So again, I hope you've already shared this video and liked it and tagged some some people. But now what I want you to do if you're listening, briefly, because we don't want a whole paragraph. Just tell us where you were, if you want to name your age, how old you were, September 11, 2001. So where you were um, and how old you were, if you want to, or what grade you were in. And each of us, we're going to go around. I'm going to start first because I'm going to let the two of them go into more detail because they have some other experience and I have some questions for them um, about where I was and kind of what was happening. So I was in eighth grade and I just we had just got to school, man, and <laughs> we got the homeroom. And it was on the TV, right? Um, and the first plane had already hit the tower. And so our teacher had it on him. You know, we're glued in, but I'm an eighth grader. We hadn't learned about the World Trade Center. Um, I knew where New York was, thank goodness. Thank, shout out to the social studies teachers that taught me that. Um, but I didn't really know what the World Trade Center was. But as we're watching, we see the second plane and then the buildings fall, right? The towers fall. At that moment, I remember five minutes later, our principal comes on and tells all the teachers to turn the TVs off, not to watch it. And we kind of just sit in this awkward space. Our teacher's crying. Um, find out later that, you know, she had family in New York, had family who were um, 
firefighter and police officer. So she was concerned about that. And then around 11 o'clock, they sent us home like for the day. But what I what I barely what I really remember is, man, I'll go home and watch TV and Nickelodeon was showing it. BET, MTV, ESPN, like every channel has stopped. It's like the world literally is still still that day. And that's what the main focus was. And, you know, it wasn't until I got to college and, and older where I truly understood like the impact, not just of the terrorist attack, but what the tax previously, right? The 93 uh, attack on the World Trade Center and all those things that happened. And so it's just a crazy, crazy time. And as I was talking to my students today, you know, I told them, I said, you know, this is this is my moment in history that I remember. I said, if you have relatives that are 65 years or older, you ask them about where they were when Martin Luther King was killed or, or JFK or you have some older, older relatives. You ask them about Pearl Harbor and things like that. Like that was that was my moment in history. And I told them, I asked them, I said, in my sixth grade, I said, what were you doing when you saw the first time you saw the George Floyd video? Right. And they could tell me. And I said, see, 10, 15 years from now, that's probably going to be your moment, your moment in history that you remember. And so um that was just kind of the conversation we had today and we played it in morning meeting and things like that. So I start with you, Ball, because, you know, both of y'all are veterans, but where were you? You know, what was that time like? What do you remember from from that day? Yeah. So, um, you know, we talked about me being a veteran. I was, I was senior at West Point mm. um, on September 11, 2001. And, uh, you know, you, you, you talk about impact, um, you know, obviously. Uh, it was uh, it, it was life changing for me because, you know, to that point, you know, I had been training and preparing to lead uh, soldiers in the army and um, I didn't have any prior service experience. So all my military connection and experience was was my my three and a half years at that point at West Point. Uh, and, you know, we're training and, you know, there were. There's a lot of different things that we were kind of focused on and, you know, we we're still using Cold War tactics and preparing to fight the Russians and that type of thing. Um, but, you know, I remember that Tuesday morning. It was a, it was a beautiful morning and, and we're 50 miles north of New York City. And, uh, you know, beautiful Tuesday morning. And uh, I was um, I've been having trouble with my uh, with my computer. I had the, the huge desktop. <laughs> desktop tower computer and uh we we had gold gold coats was the, the the folks you take your computer to on it and you know it's it, it, it's, it's a techie place and so they got the this they got you know six or seven screens you know that, that they got stuff on and you know i go in there with my computer after my first period class i think it was and uh you know I, i'm dropping off my computer you know i put my work ticket in and all that kind of stuff and they, they got up on the screen, you know, the tower, and it's like the backside of the North Tower. And they're like, yeah, a plane just flew into the World Trade Center. And then from that angle that they were showing at the time, like you could see like a few of the windows kind of broken out and, and smoke coming out of the building, but you didn't, you couldn't see like the devastation on the other side. And and so it was just like, man, that's, that's super weird. You know, that's weird that that happened. But it was like, you know, and they didn't know what type of plane it was and all, all that at, at that point. And so I'm like, man, that's just wild. And so I, I dropped my computer off and I head um, back to back to my room before I go to my next class. And uh, my wife, uh, who's my girlfriend at the time, um, I go into her room in between classes and she's got the news on. And we're looking and they're like, that wasn't no little plane that ran into thing. And so, you know, folks, there starts to be a buzz and then um, head to my next class. And by that time, uh, the second tower hit and everybody is talking about it. And um, I'm in my philosophy class and and at, before before the towers fell, my, my professor, um, he was a, a army major at the time, was like, you know, I'm going to send you guys back to your rooms and um, to reflect on how this has just changed your life and our way of life as as a country, because you know it, at, at that at that point it's like, yeah, this this wasn't an accident. It, this was coordinated. This was planned. And so, um, you know, I went back to my room. Um, was with my with my uh, my wife and and her roommate in their room, and then my roommate. Um, we got back to my room, and it was just like you know it was just so surreal. 
and then to see the towers fall and i mean in in the here you know dc had been attacked and um just just that uncertainty i mean we're on a military base um for the for the most part and uh you know everything gets locked down and you know everyone you know just just like it's just like eerily silent on the on on the post um just realizing that wow you know my roommate's like we're about to go to war Mm-hmm. And he and he was a veteran. He he had served, um, uh, I think it was two and a half, three years on active duty before coming to us. And so, you know, he he was tested. He was the one that pulled me through uh, a lot of times uh, at, at school. But uh, I mean, man. And then, um, you know, well, I'll, I'll let Doc talk. But, you know, I was on the football team at the time and, um, you know, just dealing with that as a football team and then, uh, you know, all the things that go along with that before, you know, I'll let Doc go and t- kind of tell his, uh, his story of where he was. Cause I know he was, he was on active duty uh, at the time. Uh, yeah. Oof, man. Like I'm just sitting here visualizing it and, it and it really takes me back to what Dave talked about where that moment in history, like I remember growing up and hearing my grandmother talking about where she was when Martin Luther King was killed, when Kennedy was assassinated, when the challenger blew up. Like, like, how do you remember that in such deep, vivid detail? And like, if I was to close my eyes right now, like I can like almost smell the field house at Offutt Air Force Base in Nebraska where I was stationed at. So kind of set up the context. I'm going into my last year of my four years, you know, um, my four years of active duty. Um, already had planned on getting out um, and really set up the context. My daughter had just been born a month and a half earlier. Mm. So and that really what, you know, once I had my daughter, that's when I was like, yeah, this military thing ain't going to work for me. I, I I worked for the 45th. I was uh, worked for the 45th Reconnaissance Squadron. Um, we did a lot with uh, ballistic missiles uh, reconnaissance. Um, Operation Cobra Ball. I'm just gonna kind of leave it at that. That's kind of just general knowledge you can get. Uh, but the kind of job I had, I just kind of gauge out that I had is when I got out the military in July of 2002. The passport that I had while I was in the military, they took it from me. Hmm. So that's how bad. You know, like, I mean, when I would go places, they would be like, I, I carried a pager 24/7. I kept a go bag ready to go and I couldn't tell my family where I was going. Like I used to get to the point where I used to tell my grandmother to them, hey, just watch CNN. <laughs> like, just watch CNN. Like, um, so uh, I'm at the field house. I'm working swing shift at this time. So I mean, I didn't go in until usually I wouldn't go in until like two or three o'clock. So I would get up in the morning and go to the gym. And I don't forget, I'm sitting on the treadmill at the field house, at the field house, and the field house is an old um aircraft hanger that they turned into a gym. And it's the little, you know, the arc kind or whatever. And it has a track that goes around the outside. And all the exercise equipment is on the outside of the track. And on the inside, they have racquetball courts basketball, and basketball courts. So on the side where I was at, on the treadmill, up on the wall of the racquetball courts, they have a bank of TVs. And they're usually playing the news and stuff like that. And then um, the treadmill, like I said, I remember this so vividly. The treadmill, you plug your headphones into it and you press what channel TV you want to listen to while you're working out. And I, I usually get there. I, I'm usually watching ESPN. So I'm watching ESPN. I'm you know running on the treadmill. And I look over at CNN and I see the towers are smoking. So, of course, I flip over like, what the heck going on? Like, you know, the towers is on fire. That's kind of weird. And they talk about, you know, a plane, you know, ac- accidentally had ran into the towers. And literally, like, literally five minutes into this, you see the second plane. I mean, I'm seeing the second plane. Like, damn, mm-hmm. that plane is flying close and yep. smacks the other tower. And literally, like I'm 45 seconds to a minute later, you hear on the loudspeaker, Colonel so-and-so report to work, Captain so-and-so report to work, Sergeant so-and-so report to work. Like it's my pager is blowing up. Like mm-hmm. we like, what the hell is going on? So like I said, I'm stationed off at Air Force Base. If you know anything about the Air Force, uh, STRATCOM, so the Air Force of the United States Strategic Air Command is stationed there. Like that's where the ballistic missiles and all that is the command post is there. So it's going crazy. They put the base on lockdown at the bottom. So it's about... So I end up getting a page. My boss tells me, you need to get here now. Like, I'm like, I'm at the gym. And mind you, I live a good 30 minutes away. You know, but like I said, I keep a go bag in my car mm-hmm. at all times. So I said, well, I got to run home and change. They was like, no, you need to get here like now. Like not now, but right fucking now is his words. Mm-hmm. So I get to I get to my uh get to my unit. They're like, uh, you know, they start handing out orders, like we going here, you know, whatever. whatever. So we end up flying. Uh, no, before we get to flying out, so then they uh, put the base on lockdown. Like, no more, tr- like, planes weren't coming in. Cars couldn't leave the base. Cars couldn't come on the base. It was complete, like, at a standstill. You, If you was at the BX, you had to stay in the BX. 
If you was at the gas station, you had to think you nobody could move across the base. So we like, what the hell is the station shutting the base down like this for? Next thing we know, Air Force One is flying into the base. So they brought Bush to our base when all this went down. They because he was in Florida mm-hmm. at the school. They put him on a plane, flew him to our base at off Air Force Base in Nebraska. And then at the uh, I don't give a lot of details, but basically there's a way to get from the flight line to Stratcom without leaving the flight line. So I'm gonna give you that piece right there. Mm-hmm. Uh took him there, you know, and, and, it, and like I said, you could some of this stuff is just general knowledge. Stratcom is pretty much a seven-story building. But if you're looking at it, you only see two stories. Mm-hmm. That's all you need to know. <laughs> That's yeah. all you need to know. Uh so so they put that on. He was there for a few hours or whatever, and he takes off. Then we get orders like, hey, we gotta go. So we end up flying out uh, on the 12th. That morning, uh, we had to wait for a C-5 to come in to pick us up because we kept our uh, kits, that, you know, all the plane parts, our, our kits for deployed in Japan. So we would fly from here to Japan, pick up what we needed, and then we would go somewhere, you know, in the Middle East, uh, a lot of times somewhere off the coast of the Middle East where we would fly out of or whatever. And we was there. I mean, we were there from September the 12th. I want to I can't remember, like close to Halloween. I mean, it was like Halloween when mm. I got back. You know, and when I got back, that's when I knew I said, yeah, this, I can't do this. I, I, got, mm. I got a daughter. Like, this is this is what the world we about to go into. And then, so I'm like, okay, I'm going to go ahead. Because, you know, about this time, they're like, hey, are you going to re-up? You know, here's what your bonus is if you're going to re-up with this job. I mean, they were offering at this time, the job that I had, they were offering a $20,000 four-year re-up. Mm-hmm. means the day I sign, I get ten grand, And on the anniversary, every year after that, I would get $2,500 bonus check. And I'm like, no, my daughter ain't my daughter's worth more than that 20 grand. Mm-hmm. You know, so I ended up deciding to get out. So my out date was June, uh, June 15th, 2002. They put us on a freeze. Mm-hmm. Ain't nobody getting out. You ain't nobody getting out. So uh I'll never forget because I remember 4th of July weekend, I had already planned to go home. It was I was out the military, I was about to go home and turn up. Like in April, I stopped cutting my hair. I'm going, my, <laughs> I'm going, I'm, I'm getting brave. I'm like, I, I'm like the military was a traumatic experience for me, dude. Like from the point, like I left, that I left off at of Air Force Base July seventh, two thousand two. I didn't go back on another military base until a year ago when one of my frat brothers was getting promoted to uh, to lieutenant uh, to major. When I put on that base, mind you, it's been you know nineteen years since I've been mm-hmm. out. When I put on that base to the visitors post, and they, you know you got to go to the visitors post check in, so that you give them your ID, and they was like. Uh, Oh, Vashon Smith. Okay, they put they pulled up my picture from when I was in the military. Like, oh yeah, you good? Give me my paperwork. I mean, because I'm a disabled vet, so I am a disabled vet. Ba- mind you, I'm a disabled vet, and I still don't go on military base. When we put onto that base, I literally had an anxiety attack. Mm-hmm. Like, I called one of my homies, who uh, my homegirl. We've been friends since high school. She went into the Air Force. Uh, matter of fact, she just retired a year and a half ago. She went in two weeks before me. I called her while I'm driving on this base to go to this promotion. I said, "Look, I'm having an anxiety attack. I feel like they're not gonna let me off this base." Once I get on here, she was like, boy, if you don't stop playing. But I literally was like, because hmm. I mean, the military was a traumatic experience for me. And like, it was my only way out the hood. So I took it and I've been blessed ever since. But like, I just remember like that traumatic experience. And I'm like, I can't, I can't do this. Like, I- I'm good. So, well, yeah, I mean, I, I, every September 11th, like I can say, I literally can smell the smell of the, the, uh, the field house, see those bank of TVs, remember pressing the button to get to the channel for CNN. Like, it, like literally like it happened this morning. Mm. Yeah. So, so for both of you, like, and, and Ball, just that was the start of your military yeah. career. Yeah. Doc, that was the end of yours, basically, right? So you have these two different viewpoints. And so, Ball, I'll start with you. And I, I you know, I had the three questions that I told you guys about before. Before I get to those, I want to stay just in this space. So, what I remember, right, at the time I was what, 12, 13, 12 years old, right? So, when you think about my generation, my group of friends, that was their launching pass. Some of them for when we graduated high school, why they went into service, right? Mm-hmm. September 11th, that moment was why folks became more patriotic, right? Why they decided to fight for your country. But for you two, you were already in that in that space, right? Uh, uh, and doing service. So, so Bob, when I start, I start with you with this question. So September 11th happened, right? And everything that follows it, right? We go to war and things like that. When you think about mm-hmm. what you saw that day in your service, right? Do you think anything would have been different in your service had that moment not happened? Does oh, that make yeah. sense, right? So, yeah, 
Yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I I decided to go to West Point, you know, during a time of peace. And I know <laughs> yeah. that it was a it was it was a possibility to go to war. I think, you know, Kosovo had, had been a, a thing um, prior to me um, going going in. But, um, you know, it was always like, oh, you know, we'll go ahead. I'll do my four years at school, do my five years on active duty pop smoke and, and do do what I want to do, move on with, with the rest of my life. And I knew that, you know, again, I, I knew that deploying somewhere or to multiple places w- would be a possibility. But I mean, that, well, on September 11th, it was like, uh, there's, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. You're, you're going somewhere. And then, you know, October, you know, we, um, uh, President Sims, uh does attacks on in, in Afghanistan. Um, you know, obviously, you know, Vashon's doing his thing in the Air Force, but like you know, when when troops are are, are uh, we're doing airstrikes and we're sitting about to send folks uh, on the ground, it's like, oh man, you know, Afghanistan. Let me let me let me brush up on on what I know uh, about Afghanistan. Start doing my research and start understanding because you know this is where it's going to end up. Mm. But you know, I I graduated in um, June first of two thousand two. President Bush happens to be our um, our commencement speaker. Um, our, our, my class was the, um, the bicentennial class of West Point. And so we got all these different perks of being, uh, you know, we were called the golden children. And so you mm-hmm. talk to class of 2001 and 2003, they're super jealous of us because, you know, we, we, we just, we just happened to be born, uh, <laughs> at the right time. But, you know, just, just like, you know, president Bush comes on and he does, you know, his speech. And if, if you're in any history, you know, the Bush doctrine, he says, you know, we're not going to wait for folks to come attack us anymore. Mm-hmm. We're going out and, you know, we're, we're all looking at each other, you you know, at the, at the at the ceremony, like, oh yeah, it, it, it's it's real, it's on, and then you know, I I go on active duty um, after I do my training in Fort Sill, Oklahoma, as field artillery officer, and you know, we're training, we're preparing, uh, and you know, everyone's we start to hear this chatter about Iraq, you know, uh, you know, we're we're gonna go go after Saddam Hussein and take him out, and and honestly, that that's where um, you know I get to my four, first duty station after training, uh, Fort Hood, Texas, and. Um, there's two. There was two major divisions on on the base at Fort Hood, division and First Cavalry Division. And when I got there, um, the the end of 2000, um, in 2002, um, uh, 2003 March uh, is when we invade. And like that whole time, Fourth uh, ID, the other, they're on the other side of the post. They're ramping up and they're going. And you know, it it was real. It was it was on. You know, friends that I knew um, invaded in Iraq and, you know, um, I deployed to Iraq in uh, January of 04. And uh, so, you know, I was I was in combat for, you know, for for just just over a year. And, uh, you know, that and that that experience, you know, even though it wasn't directly connected to uh, September 11th, but, you know, that shaped, you know, who, who, mm-hmm. who I became as, as a man and as a, as a 23 year old, 24 year old leading, leading a group of men down to Baghdad and then, uh, doing all sorts of things in that capacity. I mean, you know, t- just, just talk about a real, you know, life-changing experience. And, um, so, so, yeah, so, yeah, so, you know, that was the launching point for who, who I became and who I have become as a leader. And, uh, you know, a lot of the lessons that I learned, you know, again, I talked about I played football at West Point, Army football player. Um, and, you know, it, w- it was cool to have that experience. And, you know, we beat Navy as a senior. I mean, that's how you go out. That's how you go out. And, uh, you know, that that experience helped mold me. Um, and, and just like that time in the military, you know, as we transitioned into, um, you know, education, uh, I always knew I wanted to be a school leader. And uh, when I got out of the army in um, in 07, all I had to do was my um, my student teaching to finish my um, master's and in, in my uh, credential. Uh, and so, you know, I went into teaching six months after after being out. So, um, you know, that that experience has, has really propelled me uh, into um, the leader that I am. Got you. All right, Doc, man, it's a similar question. But when you when you think about that, you were on your way out. Do you see, and you talked about the importance of your daughter. So your daughter being born and, and, and now the, the time that we're in, right? Had that moment not happened, do you see yourself staying longer? Especially when you talk about that bonus, right? Like, do you do you see yourself, okay, I could probably do another four years with this because we are in a time of peace or would it have been like you still would have got out? 
Nah, sorry. Before I get to that, I want to uh, shout out T Way. That's my little brother in the comments. Uh, what up, boy? Uh, so I before September 11 had had happened. Once my daughter, once I knew I was having my daughter, and, and I think the thing that would have made a difference for me, I'm just gonna be honest. Had my daughter been a son, I probably would have looked at things differently. Mm. But the fact when once I found out that I was having a daughter, I knew I was getting out the military. But also going into the military, I never planned on making the military a career. Like when I came out of high school. I was really trying to go to college. I was trying to get a football scholarship. Um, you know, it, life circumstances happened. You know, I got into some issues and whatever like that where I had to get up out the city. So, um, you know, and the military was my escape to make that happen. You know, so like I said, the military was a, tra a very traumatic experience for me, not just because of 9-11, but a lot of things that just transpired when you got somebody from the hood raised by their grandmother, not a real lot of men role models. And now you're into this very, very structured, you know, place. Like it was very difficult for me to adjust and deal with that, you know, situation. However, I cr I credit uh, my success today to the foundation that the military gave me. Like the military taught me discipline. It taught me, you know, uh, like if and you talk, both ball knows this in the military. I mean, especially in the Air Force, attention to detail is our motto. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, to the point when I was in basic training, like they talk about, you know, the Air Force basic training being, you know, uh, Cub Scouts or, you know, day camp or whatever, because we're we not out there in the field. We ain't, you know, we, we got one warrior week. That's all we doing out of the whole time. But we in the class from sun up to sundown, we in class. You know, we're studying, you know, about different things and stuff like that. I mean, to the point where like our inspection of our lockers, like your toothpaste has to be a certain way with the letters facing a certain way. Your socks have to be folded a certain way. Your bed has to be so tight that a quarter can, like there's a lot of stuff that I'm thinking like, this ain't a big, why the hell are you tripping about the way my socks are folded to the point where your drawers had to be folded a certain way. And I was going to be real with you. The diggers in my flight, flight 475, we even buy drawers in basic training. Like this ain't, I'm not about to get dinged on this. We going commando the whole time in basic training just so we ain't got to get dinged on it or whatever. So, but once I had my daughter, like I was like, this military thing ain't going to work for me. Like I, I got my escape. So now how do I use this to catapult me to my next thing? So uh, like I said, lucky enough, the good thing about the military is when uh, you, you're on duty 24-7. You are always a soldier. So I tore my Achilles playing squadron football. And because of that, I am now a disabled vet. Wow. Now, my, I, also got a dis I also got a deflated disc in my back as well from the military. Uh, but part of my disability is because I tore my Achilles playing squadron football in the military. So, um, so kind of my hand was forced, even though I wanted to stay in. I tore my Achilles. That was a... Uh, that spring right beforehand. So I says I wasn't worldwide eligible because I wasn't, you know, I couldn't re-up anyway because I couldn't, you know, I wouldn't, I didn't have worldwide status. So it kind of just played a part for me to get out anyway. Um, but I had knew from, I see my daughter, was, I found out about my daughter being a girl like February of uh, 2001. At that point, I knew I was getting out. You know, mm -hmm. I had, I had, so that, that um, sprint summer, I started taking classes. I enrolled at the University of Nebraska. Like I started to set myself up for the next phase of life because I knew I was about to make mm -hmm. this move and do what I had to do. But I, like I said, as much as the traumatic experience I had to go through and like the, the military was my, my wilderness journey, like I credited to, matter of fact, just, just yesterday, I was talking to my staff about, you know, when things popped off at our school on Tuesday with technology and the first day of school, like I just came back in general, like I need you to do this, I need you to do this. And some people trying to offer suggestions and I had to come back the next day and say, hey, look, it's not that I didn't respect your suggestion. I said in the military, I come from a military background and in the military background, we have collaboration meetings. We have planning meetings. I said, but when we get in the foxhole, you just got to do what your commanding officer say. It ain't time mm -hmm. to collaborate no more. When he say go that way, you just go that way. If no if ands or buts about it. And I told him, I said, and if what I say, if the plan I come up with, if it goes south, I take all the blame. But if we get success, I give you all the praise. And that's what you do. And the mm -hmm. military taught me that lesson. That's the mm -hmm. lesson the military taught me. I wouldn't have that without the military. So, um, but I knew, like I said, so hope that answers your question. No, it does. And so now I'm, we're going to get in. So again, this is episode five, 9-11, the realest ad movement. Uh, Dave McGuire here. And this is, listen, I'm, I'm here just filling the questions and because I want, I want Doc and I want Ball to share their experience because they can give both the perspective as veterans, but also as educators. And so we're going to kind of dive into some things. So, um, you know, with everything going on, we're going to fast forward. So we, we talked about where we were September 11, 2001. Let's fast forward to August 2016. I think I got it right. Mm -hmm. So I, I want to know and paint the picture. This is when Colin Kaepernick in a preseason game sat on the bench during a national anthem. So I saw that right and at this time. I went to an HBCU. I studied 
you know, African-American literature and history. And so I, I'm in this moment now, right? Because I have seen Trayvon Martin, I had Ferguson that happened two years ago, right? Um, you got, and then, then that was a summer of like we experienced now where we see that, you know, black men, black people being killed at the hands of police officers, right? And so all of this is happening for me. So I see Kaepernick sitting down. I'm like, oh, hell yeah, right? Like, take a stand. But I want to ask you because the the major part of that is what, what got lost was people said that he was disrespecting the flag. And so, you know, it, it's the AOS podcast. So let, let's just be real and lay it out on the table. What were your initial thoughts? The initial, the first time you saw that, what was your thoughts and your feelings when you saw Kaepernick kneel slash sit during the national anthems as veterans and as black men? So my initial thoughts was the, the sitting, I don't, I don't think I actually got I'm not, I, mean, I, I love football. I mean, college football is my first love. I do watch the NFL. So I don't really pay a lot of attention to the preseason games. Mm -hmm. So I really didn't catch wind of it until it kind of got into the season. And it started to kind of, you know, pick up steam or whatever. So then I, start, I went back and said, okay, let me kind of find out exactly what's going on, what the issue is. And then I found out, you know, originally, initially he was sitting. And then he did have a conversation with a veteran. And the veteran kind of explained to him kind of what that meant by sitting or whatever. And so then Kaepernick asked the veterans that he was talking to, would it be okay if I was to kneel instead? And they was cool with it. Mm -hmm. To the point where if you go talk to, I guarantee if you talk to 99% of veterans, they had no problem with him taking, taking the knee. I mean, that, that's just from the veterans I know, from the stuff I've read and all that, they had no problem with him taking the knee because it stood for something, you know, and that's, that's what that meant for me. And so I, I saw no issue with it because with the whole thing uh, with Kaepernick, before I'm a veteran, I'm a black man. <laughs> I'm a black man before, I, before anything. I'm a black man before I'm a principal, before I'm Dr. Smith. Before I'm a veteran, you know, before I'm case, like I'm a black man at the heart of everything. So if you stand up for black men, I'm standing with you no matter what my title, my position is, because at the heart of everything that I can't take that off. I can go find another career. You know what I'm saying? I can go do other things, but I can't take off being this black man. That's just who I am. So I had no issue at all with it. I mean, you see the shirt. Like after that <laughs> happened, like I went and bought a shirt. I got a Kaepernick jersey. Like mm -hmm. I was pissed this past summer when, when they came out with the Air Force Ones with the date on them. That oh, yeah. And I, yeah. I, I was willing to pay $500 to get a pair. <laughs> I couldn't find them nowhere. Was, was like, you the one that was you trying to get on that live link? That live link? My iPad and my computer like. Yep. Hey, man, I do that with James every time they come out, so I can't talk. <laughs> I wouldn't even go well. I just mm -hmm. wanted for what they stood for. Yeah. Like I remember I was in uh, Florida. I was down in Florida and uh, at a Supreme store and they had them. And the dude was like, hey, we got them for 250 I'm like, dude, you ain't said nothing but a word. Mm -hmm. But the biggest size they had was a nine. I, dude, I wear a 12. Just in case I do want to wear them, I want to be able to fit them. Right. <laughs> but, but I want them just for what they stand for. Like, you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, like, I, I'm riding with Cap all day long. Like, and I know now in the NFL, they got egg on their face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Bob, man, what about you? Like, you yeah. know, again, you know, you were at right. West Point at the time. Right. So when you when you saw that, when you heard about it, you know, what was that initial thought? That first thought, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm going to take it back just a little bit further. So, um, again, I got into uh, teaching high school and I started coaching football. And, um, you know, that the, the, and, and I love sports. I go to a lot, lot of the sporting events, um, you know, just that experience is something that I, that I enjoy and going to sporting events, doing the national anthem, you know, it, it, it has, it has something, it has some meaning for me, especially knowing, you know, I, that I served, you know, the, the, the friends and, and um, classmates and the um, soldiers that, that, were, that I know that, that passed away, that lost their lives, you know, that's significant to me, but I understand that not everyone has that, that perspective mm -hmm. and going to a sporting event and seeing like, Maybe most of the crowd has, you know, they've taken their hats off and they're, you know, cover their hearts to sing it. But most of the folks, you know, you go to an NFL game, half of them are drunk and, you know, they're talking like and, and like that to me. That's disrespect to the flag mm. um, and, and to to the service and sacrifice. I mean, that that that's that's part of it. And then I lived in Maryland for a while. So I was in Maryland before um, from from 2011 until 2015. Uh, and uh 
if you if you're an Orioles fan or any Maryland sports fan, they carry out the O on Oh say does that Star Spangled Banner, mm-hmm. and like that just annoyed the heck out of me. Just I mean, and, and it was just a thing. Like it just doesn't sit right with me. But long story short, uh, I was I'd been hearing about Kaepernick because, mm-hmm. and I was like I didn't really get into it here until I was at that same weekend. I went to the Oakland Raiders preseason game. And they have put Kaepernick up on the screen. It's him sitting during the national anthem. And, you know, the, the Raiders fans, they're they're off the chain anyway. And, you know, they're going crazy. And I'm talking to my friend I was with. And I was like, what is going on with that? Like, I, I, I see him sitting. I don't know what it's all about. But I went home after the game. And I, like, I heard his interview when they started talking about it. And I'm like, okay. Like, that's what I went and served for. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, um, you know, just like Doc said, you know, I, I can't take off this skin. I know this experience and I've had my, you know, I haven't personally had a negative experience with, with the police, but I know it, it only takes a second. Mm-hmm. It, 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 t- it takes one person seeing me walk down the street. Um, you know, it, it seems one person seeing me, like I lose my keys and I'm trying to get into my car or, or just anything, just walking mm-hmm. down the street. Yeah. It only takes one minute for, for, for something negative to happen for me. And that's something that's always in my mind. And so, you know, initially I was like, what is he doing? But then I was like behind it. And, uh, you know, I've, it's, it's been a struggle for me because, like, I'm an NFL fan. Like, I love football. Mm. But I'm just like, you know, seeing what they did to Cap and and what they're continuing to do to him. And just like Dawson, they got egg on their face. They're on the wrong mm. side of history because they know what he was doing was right. And mm. they just allowed the, the story – to be changed, you know, initially, oh, he's disrespecting mm-hmm. the flag. It's not, it's, it's not about the flag. Yeah. It's about how black people are treated by the police. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and unfortunately it's, it's a fight that's been going on since the beginning of this country. But yeah. people still don't get it. Let me, let me give you a prime example why they still don't get it. So, you know, I'm here in Kansas city, you know, uh, I'm not a fan, but this is the home of the Super Bowl champs. Uh, <laughs> um, and, they played last night against the uh, Houston Texans to kick off the season. And before the game, so basically uh, the Chiefs was on the field during the National Anthem. The Houston Texans stayed in the locker room. And there was a couple Chiefs that did take a knee, you know, and I um, kind of before the game started, the Chiefs and the Texans came together in the, on the field as a sign of unity. And they had, you know, we must stop racism going across or stop, so, you know, hate across going across the big train like that. And the fans in the stadium were booing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Cap was four years ago, mm-hmm. and on the jumbotron it reads, "We need to stop racism," and you booing. Yeah. So that, that I mean that tells you like, wow, the NFL is trying to make strides. We got a long way to go with people, just society. Period. Yeah, and, and I, if you, I mean, while you said it, as Doc, you said he said in the locker room when they asked him, he said it point blank, right? But when I think about the Nike ad that came out, right? And this is just me from the outside looking in, not being a veteran, not being in the military. So correct me if I'm wrong. When I think about that Nike slogan, right? Believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything. To me, that sounds like what the military is, right? I'm believing in something and I'm willing to sacrifice everything, i.e. my life for this cause. And so I saw that Nike ad originally, saw it powerful, but I said that was his tip of a cap to military veterans saying it's, in, in my own space, it's the exact same thing, right? So no, I didn't I didn't put on a uniform and fight for my country, but I'm willing to, to die on this hill, fall on this sword for this cause and for this. And to me, I think, Doc, you said it, when he talked to military veterans, that's why they said, this is your sacrifice. I understand now, right? And I'm going to stand with you, you know, and, 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 and rock with you. But again, you just had that section of people who is so uncomfortable and so I'm just going to say, now nah, he's disrespecting the flag. So, so let me ask you this question because because you, you brought that 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 quote. You know what I'm saying? Um, we want to talk about even to cost you everything. So we are school leaders, and we're we're in a very tumultuous time right now. And I I got a specific story I want to hit on, but I'm gonna ask y'all first though. Um, in this time as school leaders right now, and this with everything that's going on with the Black Lives Matter moving over the summer, and Dave already know kind of your heel and everything like that. But what is the heel that you're willing to die on right now? Yeah. Black kids learning. <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, you know, for for me, 
you know, the willing to, you know, I would give, I would give up my job if it meant my teachers carrying on conversations about Black Lives Matter and address, addressing, you know, what's going on in our political climate and those types of things, because it's, it's something that I'm, you know, that's, that's coming up. And, 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 you know, you hear things and, you know, it's, it's virtual and, you know, and parents are at home and, they, and they're hearing what the kids are talking about. They're hearing what the teachers are saying. But, you know, it, it, I, I will go to bat for my teachers that are willing to step up and say, hey, you know, we need to have these conversations about how black and brown people are treated by the police, um, you know, just in our society in general, just, you know, systemic racism, white supremacy. Like those are words that honestly, I was afraid to say early in my career, maybe even last year for that matter. But, but I've just grown in, 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 a, in a really short time to understand that like, you know, there's so many people that have sacrificed for me to get to this position. And, you know, I feel like I can stand in my power. I can stand in my knowledge. I can stand in my strength and I can get another job somewhere if that's what it, what it costs. <laughs> I mean, uh, that, I mean, the bottom line, like, you know, it, it's, it's a job. And I know my mission is to be the example that my kids need. And, you know, my whole purpose is to serve the kids in my community. So wherever I end up, I'm going to serve in whatever capacity I can. And, uh, you know, it's, principal is a title. Um, but, you know, am I making a difference? You know, if, if, if I'm afraid to um, to support my teachers having conversations, support my students that want to have conversations, you know, that's kind of yeah. that's kind of where I'm at right now. So, Dave, kind of way I would pose a question to you mm-hmm. is um, because, you know, you, you had you had the, the uh, billboard in your, in your school that you put up that has inspired something that's going to be hot coming up next week. Yes, sir. Uh, stay, stay tuned. Stay tuned. Uh and you could have folded under the pressure and took it down when you got the heat on social media. So mm-hmm. what has it been like since we talked about that on the show and kind of brought some more light to it from a positive standpoint? Has it been a topic of discussion anymore? Or has it kind of just ran its course? No, nah, it, it still comes up. And it, it, it comes up from like, I think more people, it's crazy, man. It went viral like outside of Indy before it went viral in Indy. Like people now are just now reaching out uh, and asking. But honestly, man, I... So talk, I, I'm like, I, I'm talk like, about, talk about what, 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 what happened. What, yeah. what, what happened? What happened? What's the we might get some new listeners, and I think they, it's yeah. important that they know what's yeah, going man. on. So I, I put up uh, a billboard in the summer, say their names of, of, of black people being murdered by police officers, and I put it on social media, and I said, you know, this is this is the pressure we're applying this year, and I got I got lit up, but I also got supported, right? But what came from that was people questioning. Is that a place to do in a school? They start pulling up like mm-hmm. our record as a school, which they need to check their facts because they had it wrong. But anyway, they start pulling up those things. They started uh, questioning like our methods as leaders and, and what our model. So our model is college or die. And they just started coming at me, like ridiculing me, saying that we shouldn't put that in front of kids' faces. And I'm like, we should though, right? And it's ain't for the kids. It's for everybody else, right? Because I have this platform my kids have this platform. Our school has this platform and we're going to use it. And it's, it should start a conversation because we should do these things, right? We did this. They're, they're painting murals in the street. It's cool. We're going to put a billboard in the school and it's going to stay up all year and it's still up. But what people in India are saying is, well, what else? And I was like, so you obviously haven't been following the school if you asking what else? Because this conversation, it's gone to shirts. It's gone to... Uh, more tweets. It's going to everything. It's going to conversations we're having in the classroom. It's going to my kids questioning and asking their teachers certain questions. But I think people in Indy are just asking like, you know, quietly like, you know, are you willing to give it up? And I'm like, absolutely. You can have my principal card, my teacher card, my my Indiana card. You have all that shit, but I'm not giving up my black card. So I'm going to die for that. I'm going to you know, I'm metaphorically, I'm gonna die for that. And I walk away and I go, I go study for the LSAT and try to be a lawyer. Right. Or I'll take my MBA and go work for Eli Lilly. Right. I could do something else. Like you said, ball, but this, that's the hill because black kids are going to learn and these black kids are going to feel safe and welcome. And the question came up, how do you as an ad man work to make those conversations a truly a safe place? I make sure that I, I, I lead the conversation. 
and I'm willing to, to start and have the conversation and I'm willing to listen to anybody, white, black, purple, green, about how you feel. And we're going to have an honest conversation. And I tell my staff, we're not going to ridicule or demean anybody that doesn't understand if they misspeak. But what we're going to do is we're going to educate and enlighten them. That's it. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to talk down on you if you don't understand. If you feel like Kaepernick disrespected the flag, well, let's have an, a conversation. Let me explain to you what he said, because it was very clear about what he said. And we're going to try to unpack, you know, why you feel this way. If you feel like this billboard is uh, inappropriate, then I'm going to tell you it's inappropriate for officers to shoot black people or step mm-hmm. on their necks. <clears throat> so <laughs> before I get to my part, I, I, I dropped the link. In the comments, if you want to see the billboard, that's the link right there. You know, if you need to see the billboard uh, that went viral. Uh, and it's crazy before I get to my party, because outside this podcast, you know, we might tweet or text each other every now and then. But we don't really talk like that. But we like mm-hmm. on the same wavelength. And it's like shout out to Unk for like bringing this together off of one show mm-hmm. because we all on the same wavelength. And I'm going to give you my why I ask that question is because I use those exact same words this week. Like this is the hero I'm going to die on. So what happened was over this past summer, my BLT, uh, my building leadership team, which is made up of six teachers and my instructional coach. So shout out to Ms. Phillips, uh, Ms. Watson, Ms. Barton, Ms. T. Watson and Ms. E. Watson, Ms. Barton, Ms. Phillips, Ms. Johnson, Ms. Fajan and uh, Ms. Williams, my instructional coach. And um, we, we came together. Mind you, they ain't getting paid over the summer. Mm. But we met every Monday for two hours from starting about the end, beginning of uh, July all the way through mid-August, and we did a book study on this book right here. So uh, why are the black kids sitting together in the cafeteria? And we developed this PD, and I shot y'all to put the PowerPoint for it, mm-hmm. that we did with our entire staff. And before the day, so that Tuesday, that Monday, the Monday that we were going to do it, when, uh, let me go back. The Monday that we came back to school, I told staff, we're, we're going to address this social justice thing that's going on in America as a staff. Because when you get in front of kids, they're going to have questions. Mm-hmm. And I need to equip you, equip you with the right verbiage to be able to have those conversations so that you don't do more damage to these students when they come at you with these questions. So the month in the month following week was the second day of our PD. Uh, we had um, I told them, I said, on Thursday, we're going to have this conversation and it, it's going to be non-threatening. I'm just, I'm just laying the foundation. I'm not trying to go deep with it right now. I just want to get. And basically, to the, the activity we did, we, the actual Google form was titled Temperature Check. I just want to check your temperature on where you at with this. So we went through the PowerPoint, and it, we did it via Zoom. And T. Watson, who's in the comments, she was my co-facilitator. And basically, like, God works stuff out so smoothly sometimes. Because your plans, you be thinking, oh, my, this plan is dope. But the plan he come up with would be so much doper. So the plan was I was going to start the, the Zoom, and I was going to pass off the host responsibilities to her. And while I was going through and kind of laying the foundation for the PD, she was going to put everybody into breakout rooms. And then she was going to pass the host back to me so I can do the PowerPoint. Well, when she passed the host back to me, I didn't notice in Zoom. So when she passed it back to me, since she was no longer the host, all the breakout rooms disappeared because she gave up her responsibility as host. We didn't know that, but it worked out perfect, though. Let me tell you why. So we go through the PowerPoint. So I told my staff, I said, your camera must be on and your mute. I'm muting your mic. And you won't have access to turn it back on because this needs. I need you to just sit in this. And we went through the PowerPoint. And I mean, I sent y'all the PowerPoint. I'm pretty sure y'all looked at it. It's mm-hmm. deep. Mm-hmm. The PowerPoint is deep. Like it, it takes you there. But before we did that, the day before, I had somebody come to me and said, "Doctor Smith, do you think we really should be having these conversations right now? Because teachers have a lot going <laughs> on. And they're trying to get ready for the first day of school, and we learning Canvas and this and that and this and that." And I said, first of all, I hear you." And had I not had 15 teachers come to me before you that said, we need to have this conversation, you probably would care a little bit more weight. But to your point that a lot's going on, tell me at what point during the school year we not going to have a lot going on. Mm-hmm. So tomorrow, mm-hmm. yes, we're going to have this conversation. But it still resonated with me because like, I'm like, man, maybe this is the wrong time. So I brought my BOT team in because they hadn't seen the PowerPoint yet. Like, I, I'm, I'm going to give credit. One of my colleagues gave me the PowerPoint. That's where I got it from. I didn't create it on my own. I took it for somebody else and I adapted it to kind of fit what I wanted to do. And I brought them into my conference room where I'm sitting right now. I said, hey, we're about to go on an experience. And I want y'all to experience this because y'all going to facilitate this tomorrow with the rest of the staff. And we went through the PowerPoint. And my, my BLT, half is black, half is white. When it's over, 
it wasn't a person sitting around this conference table that didn't have tears in their eyes. And I told them what the other person told me about this might be the wrong timing. And they was like, no, nah, D. Smitty, this is the right time. Like, we need to force these conversations right now. And they was like, the only thing we don't want to happen is because if this conversation is not happening across the district, we don't want you sticking your neck out there while the rest of the people ain't doing it. And you, you get your head chopped off. And I told him, I said, you know what? This is the hill I'm willing to die on right here. Mm-hmm. If this was going to cost me my job, I'm, I'm, re- I'm ready to give it up then. Because like, like we done said, I got five degrees. I can go get another job. <laughs> I called Naomi. Hey, Kip hiring? <laughs> uh, I'm coming to Jersey. Can I get a job? <laughs> like this, this platform, and I think, and I, maybe not for y'all, but for me, this platform right here, this show has given me a platform and a confidence that I didn't have back in April. Mm. Like I done made too many connections over this summer where I'm like, this is the conversation we got to have. So when we did that, so then we go and do the PD for our staff. And mind you, while the PowerPoint is going, I'm scrolling through the screens to look at everybody. And I can see the emotion in everybody's face. So after the after PowerPoint ends, and on the last slide, basically the last slide, uh, let me, I'm going to pull it up. I want to read exactly what the last slide says, because somebody in the comments, they said, how are we making sure it's a safe space for these conversations to take place? And I think that this is really uh gets to that point of that safe space that we want to but I, I laid it out like you did boy i told my staff i said if at any point when we go into these breakout rooms you feel like you're being berated or you're being targeted or you're being blamed you come talk to me and i'm gonna check whoever did it mm-hmm. i don't care black white hispanic i'm gonna come to them and because this we this ain't a, mm-hmm. i'm not finger pointing i'm not blaming my white staff for slavery that's not what this is for this is for and this is what I'm going to read the last slide on here. This is going to tell you what, what I'm trying to do at my building. It says, to, to much is given, much is required. We have been given an incredible opportunity to educate and change the narrative at Grandview Middle School and in our communities. Will we accept that challenge and all the requirements that come along with it to ensure all of our students receive an ism and bias-free education? Mm-hmm. That's what we're doing this for. Mm-hmm. To make sure that your biases and your isms don't come into the curriculum you teach it. That's why we need to do this work. So after the thing was over with, the breakout rooms didn't work. And I seen the emotion on people's face. So I, on the spot, I had to change my plans. And I said, you know what? We're going to take a 15 minute break. And after that 15 minutes, I want sixth grade to go to this room. I want seventh grade to go to this room. I want eighth grade to go to this room. I want Encore to go here and go here. And I, you're going to have a facilitator, which was my BLT. They're going to facilitate a conversation. And the conversation was a Google form. And it wasn't even asking for individuals. It was saying, what is the consensus of the group? And the good thing I love about my staff is we got that relationship where we can have these conversations. Mm-hmm. Because my encore team is tight. My seventh grade team is tight. They can have those real life conversations. If we would have did a whole staff, it probably wouldn't have been as deep. Mm-hmm. But I know those individual subsets have those relationships where they can have those conversations. And the question was, do you feel there's a racial issue at GMS? How comfortable are you talking about race? How comfortable are you talking about social justice issues? How comfortable are you talking about it with your colleagues, with our students? And if we were to have these conversations at a more deeper level, would you prefer that it be whole staff, small staff? And if, if small staff, what groups or individual? So that as we go forward in this work, your voice matters in how it looks and what it looks like. So this is what I'm going to do. I got an anonymous donor. I went out I went out and bought 50 copies of this book for every one of my staff. We're going to do a book study as a whole staff. Mm. But I had an anonymous donor come to my school the other day because they heard about what I did. And they gave me 30, 20 copies of this book. So if you are a school leader out there that wants to do this work in your building, all you have to do is email me at vashon.smith at gmail.com. And I'm going to send you a copy of this book to seed into your school. I got 20 copies. If you are a school leader, vashon.smith at gmail, you email me and I'm going to send you to the point where the person that donated this, I told them because I, I, I had to get their permission because they paid for them. I said, hey, here's what I plan on doing. They said that they will even pay for the postage for it to get to you. So the first 20 mm. to email me, I got books for you for, to see it into your school because this work needs to be done. Man, listen. So y'all heard that. He's got books. You know what? Folks got to they gotta tune in, man. We love giving the gifts. <laughs> we, we love giving the gifts. Hold, hold that thought for one minute. So we talked about this. Remember? Voices Volume 1. Your boy Doc Smith is in the – he's one of the 13 authors. Uh, we mailed out our what, first copies of the books, right? 
Uh, yeah, we so did. We haven't got no more emails though, right? Uh, so, nope, we ain't got no this more. This what yet. I'm about to do. I don't know what you're going to do. I got 15 copies. This is what I'm going to do on Monday. I'm putting out the call to my, 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 my school community. The first 15 black male boys in my school community asking for this book. They're getting it. I ain't waiting for the rest of y'all. I'm giving it to my boys. Flat out. Hey. And, and I'm signing it. Hey, I kept I kept one at the school, so <laughs> just in case, man. But look, we got a we got a we got a question in here, man. That that's that's heavy. We're gonna get ball back in here soon, um, man. Uh, and I apologize. You know what? I'm gonna just say, viewer Castro. I don't want to butcher your first name, so I apologize. Um, she's she, all right. It, it said, "How can a teacher or admin that is not black safely start that conversation with their teachers, students, or staff?" Will there, will there be the same amount of buy-in? So, Doc, man, I'm, I'm going to throw it to you first, man. Uh, what? Um, how, how can uh, a teacher or an admin that's not black safely start this conversation? Because that's powerful. So the first thing I'm going to tell you, this, this, was, this was one of the last slides on the, on the, this was the second to last slide in my PowerPoint. So I'm going to show you this because I can't, I can't, you know, show, uh, we don't have the screen share thing, but you, you can read that right there. Hmm. So what I would tell any, I don't care if you black, white, purple, orange, green, before you start to have this conversation, you, you, you yourself first have to educate yourself. Mm. And you have to know what is your why? Why are you doing this work? Because your why is going to be challenged by everybody that's against this work. So you have to first get your understanding of why you are doing this work and why you feel this work is important. And then once you do, the next thing I would tell you is you need to work on that relationship piece. Like, because like I said, I can have this conversation with my staff. Because I built that relationship. You can't, if I was a first year principal, I probably couldn't do this work. Not at the level I'm doing it right now. But I've worked to build that relationship with my staff and with my BLT. So now I can do this work at a deeper level and be more transparent. My counterpart, who I love to death, Dr. Harris, the principal at the other middle school, we collaborate, we collaborate so tough on our two schools. Matter of fact, my next blog post is gonna be called. <clears throat> my next blog post is it takes a village where two middle schools in the same district came together to be one for the betterment of all the students during the pandemic. That's how tough we collaborate. Our, our teachers growth plans in two separate buildings. The standard that we picked for both buildings is the exact same standard. That's how bad we want to come together. She's a white woman. She's starting this work at her school, but she's a, this is her first year there. So I told her, I said, this might be something you could start in on second semester because that first semester, you got to build those relationships. Mm hmm. So as an admin or a teacher, you first have to get that relationship piece. And I don't care if it's this work that we're doing right here or if it's instructional strategies. If you ain't got a relationship, you ain't going to get buy-in no matter what you're trying to do as a teacher or an administrator. Mm -hmm. So that's, that would be my advice is first, educate yourself, develop your why, and then build relationships with the people that you work with. Man, I, I, I think, and I just, real quick, I think that one, the first step is that to ask that question, right? Means that you've thought about this and you want to help. And one of the ways that we're going to push this movement forward is we got to have allies on the other side, right? Because it's it's, it's, it's it's always been us, right? We've always had this fight, but now that we got allies on the, on the other side, who's willing to stand side by side us, right? To to have these conversations, I think that's power. But but everything Dr. Smith said, you know, educate yourself, find out your why, but also lean in, right? Lean on that person. Because I, I heard, uh, I was listening to the, the the radio this morning and they were talking about on the view right and jay this is a moment where you just got to say i'm going to yield to you know the, the, those those black the the, the my, my black colleagues and my black friends on this but i'm gonna educate myself so i can speak articulate and intelligent about it as well but Bob, i'm gonna give you a chance you said that that's your teacher yeah. kind of, right real How, quick ball. go ahead let me do this real quick because that's your teacher boss so i want to yeah. make sure i put this this out there uh, I don't know if she's a, she, she's a part of the Patreon for the A Black Hands, but this is, you know, I'm, I'm plugging A Black Hands because the A Black Hands, we do a book study. You know, I was a part of the book. The one the, the first book study, I believe it was, mm -hmm. we did the uh, Education of Blacks in the South. And now they're doing the Man Not Book Study, which I've been a little too busy to be a part of. I apologize, Cousin Chris. I, you know, I got my love for you. But we are. this is the next book we're doing the book study for in that Patreon. So uh, viewer Castro, as Dave called you, Miss Castro. Uh, if you go to the Eight Black Hands Facebook page, get up, get up, get on their Patreon. It's it's a very low fee to get be a part of it, but we're gonna do a book study on this book coming up shortly. And I hope Unc already got that approved by the other three Black Hands or the other six Black Hands. I just already just threw it out there, and it's on wax. So we got to make it happen now. There you go. So, yeah. Bob, yeah. you know, you got a teacher 
who and she she made it very clear that she's not a white girl, but somebody who's not black. How do you mm -hmm. support that teacher who says, you know, Mr. Ball, Principal Ball, I want to stand with you. I want to start these conversations. How can you support her and making sure that she can have that voice and get folks to buy in? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things is to um, lean into your resources. Like, you know, I'm here for my staff and, you know, we started conversations second semester last year, which was my first year, um, just kind of digging into addressing uh, some of the 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 um, racial tension, the racial anxiety, the um, racist actions that we've seen in our district. And, and I think that, you know, there's a lot of people that are uncomfortable, but guess what? nobody's in this thing alone mm -hmm. so you, you you find someone i mean alessandra's good alessandra that's how you pronounce it alessandra yeah. i apologize yeah. thank you <laughs> <laughs> but uh but that's what it is you, you you find someone that you can partner with and that you can bring into that conversation it it, it, it might be difficult initially to you know if it's a colleague for example that you know, you feel like, hey, we need we need to have this conversation. You know, you, you you don't necessarily have to do it on your own, but there are opportunities, just like in the classroom, when you know when something comes up and you can stop a lesson and say, this is a teachable moment. I need to take action, and I and I think that's that's one thing that we have to be. We can't be afraid to embrace those teachable moments because something's going to come up mm -hmm. where someone's going to say something and it's going to rub you the wrong way, and you have to be the person that's brave enough to to not let it go, you know, to the, this something that's a microaggression. Oh, you know, they, they say that kind of stuff jokingly. You can't let those things go because I know they happen. They don't just happen at my school site. They happen in the in the community. They happen in the grocery store. They happen at every every place. You know, someone will say something that, you know, is wrong. They probably don't know that it's wrong and they need to be called it. And sometimes you got to sacrifice that that moment of, of discomfort or maybe even that relationship for a time. If they're their real, if they're your real friend, they're not going to shy. Out. I mean, they might shy away a little bit, but they're going to come back. You know, they'll come back to you. But the fact of the matter is that you have to find it inside of yourself that like this is something that I need to that needs to be addressed. I don't have to do it alone. I need to find those, those people that, that can come alongside me and support me through it. And that, and, that, and that's what it is. So whether it's a conversation in the classroom, you know, you don't necessarily feel uh, comfortable with leading a discussion about Black Lives Matter. But guess what? You got a black principal. Bring him in, um, you know, to we can we can we can plan it together and we can execute it together um, so that, you know, you know, you're not on this doing this thing um, by yourself. Man, love it. So uh, we're at the hour point. And so we're going to get the final thoughts. But uh Alan, say it again, Bob. I want to get it right. Alan, Alessandra. Alessandra. She asked the question. I'm going to put it, I'm going to not dismiss it. We're going to put it on the back burner. But she asked, how does white teachers talk about race with students? I think yeah, she we, just gave us the topic. We, no, we ain't going to put it on the back burner. I'm, I'm going to address it in my, my final thoughts. There we go. But I also think that's the topic. So we definitely, we, yeah, we, we're going to go to final thoughts. Doc, I'm going to start with you so you can address that. Ball, I'm going to go with you. And then I'm going to close this out with final thoughts. So Doc, so, final thoughts. First part of my final thought is, Ball, you said that's one of your teachers, bro. I don't know if she's on your leadership team or whatever, but you got a, you got a diamond right there, bro. Like she she wants to do the work. That's that's the people you want on your team that's wanting to do the work. Uh so she asked the question, how do you, I told you my first thing is you have to educate yourself. So I told you the book study that my book, my BLT did first. Next, this is our next book we're about to kick into, Race Talks and the Conspiracy of Silence. Okay. Basically understanding facilitating difficult dialogue on race. Get this book. It's going to give you tips on that. That's one of the books. Uh, also, we're doing this book right here, Courageous Conversations About Race. Yeah. And I got them the facilitator's guide. So educate yourself, get the resource. I'm a big believer. You can ask my staff. T. Watson was in the comments. I don't ask my staff to do nothing if I don't first show them how to do it. That's my final thoughts. Love it. Bob, what you got for mm -hmm. us, man? Well, you know, I just want to follow up our conversation. Um, you know, 9-11 was an impactful day uh, in 2001, and we had the opportunity to share. Um, it, it shaped uh, who we are and it shaped, you know, where, we, where we've come and where we've gone as leaders. Um, but I just I just want to shout out to all of those that um, have been were impacted directly. Uh, those that, um, you know, have family members uh, that they lost, um, those first responders that, you know, spent time down there. Um, but I, I think one of the things that 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 makes me 
realize and just that whole experience, like, you know, we have to be in this fight of life to, um, we, we have to get away from trying to be divisive. And, you know, some people might say, oh, you know, you're talking about race and you're talking about all these types of things. Yeah. We got to peel back that onion a little bit, uh, in, 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 diagnose, you know, the, the problem and address the problem before we move forward. And I, and I think we gotta, we gotta do that together and we have to move forward together. So I, I think that's, that's my biggest thing is just that, you know, we gotta be good to each other. We have to rely on each other. We have to learn from each other and move this thing forward. Realist movement together, moving forward. Absolutely. Uh, I ended with this. This show has been amazing. I, I, I'd love to hear from y'all catch us. In two weeks, September 25th for episode six. But this Sunday, A Black Hand Podcast, uh, I'm on a page and I'm going to read the tweet. It says, we wish we had the luxury of being nice black parents. This Sunday, the Hands Critique, Nice White Parents Podcast. You asked for it. And as Alex said, be careful what you ask for because there's some heat coming on Sunday. It's been the AOS Podcast, episode five. And we out, everybody. See y'all the 25th. Go, Mob. Peace. Bro.